Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to Celebration Church. You're looking good. Say, I woke up like this. Beautiful. If you're new or visiting, please stick around after the service. We want to get to know you. You're fantastic. Oh, look at him. Look at him. He's trying, to get, he's trying to get next month. He's trying to win next month as well. May wasn't enough. He wants June as well. Does he get a plaque, Ben? Does he get a plaque or something? What are you doing? What's that? Oh, cool. What is it? We'll look into it later. Uh, but yes, if you're new, stick around. Love getting to know you. My name is Joel. I'm one of our pastors here at Celebration Church, and it's good to see you. Look at the person next to you. Make eye contact for three to five seconds. That's enough. That's enough. Calm down. Some married couples for the first time, for the first time in years, just made eye contact. Have been passing as ships in the night and just finally, uh, (laughs) uh, good stuff. Um, How good was worship this morning? That was some good worship. Thanks to... Ryan, Pastor Nat, the team, Alicia Keys doing what she does, living her best life. So lucky I was going to wear those pants today, but I didn't. We would have been matching. I've got a feeling the darkness won't last very long. (laughs) I speak that over every area of your life that it feels like the darkness is lasting too long. Those statements, sometimes worship is clear adoration. You're just like, God, you're so good. I can see it all. Sometimes it's a declaration of a truth that you choose to believe. I choose to believe that you are fine. I choose to hold on to hope. I choose to be someone in prisons to declare that I'm free. When I'm sick, that I'm healed. Can I just remind you, church, before we get into the word this morning, that uh, he isn't done with your dark moments yet. That when it looks like things are getting worse and worse, keep on declaring his goodness, his greatness. Because uh, when you've got the testimony, there's no, you miss the opportunity is to worship in the dark. <laughs> the, the privilege it is to hold on by faith, the, uh, the power that it is in those moments to declare his goodness and his greatness. So, Good days are good, but challenging days give us a chance to hold on to our God who is good and able to turn things around. Kids Fest is coming up as well. If you're a kid or know a kid or know what I... Did you say steal a kid? Did you just say that? Uh, Don't let him near the kids, even though he's in charge of it. Um, But Kids Fest is coming up. Yes, sponsor a child. Just $1 a day can sponsor a kid to go to Kids Fest if you sponsor them for 25 days. I think it's $25. Um, There's going to be jumping castles, pizza parties, and most importantly, God encounters for the up-and-coming generation. And uh, the Watsons, Watto and Watto, are doing a great job. Um, with our kids team but uh, if you can sponsor please help out because we're going to be reaching into schools and different areas where um, some kids are going to need some sponsorship so you can do that through the back double doors last Sunday I was meant to preach um, but I got an illness that lasted 11 days and I am now alive and able my son is at home recovering from the vomiting bug that he now has caught from his loving father who I caught from my lovely little daughter who I assume caught it from her preschool not mentioning any names Liebird um, and preschools they're a blessing because they let you sit home and watch Law and Order for eight hours a day but they're a curse because your child brings horrible bugs back into your home but last Sunday um, Pastor Brian and Charlie were going to pray me in as exec pastor and I was going to preach my first exec pastor message I'm not doing that today Uh, yesterday um, I spent some time finishing off that word that was going to be shared last week because uh, I think sometimes you need a complete one to work out if it was and it's still relevant, still what God wanted to say. Uh, and then finished, I was like, cool, okay, that isn't what God wants to say today. Um, 
you'll never see the message ever again. I burnt it. I put it on an iPad and I set that iPad on fire and I gave it to the Lord and he made this one appear and I've prepared a new message on it. Every sermon I write, I do on a new device and I throw out the old one. Um, no, just kidding. Um, but you, I think we're blessed as a church. Our pastoral team, um, Pastor Brian and Charlie, are great examples of this. We, um, we wait on God to get a word from God rather than just spit out a three-point sermon that we think is cool. Um, to the degree um, that if you're probably discipled by one of our pastors and you could probably pick the message you're about to share. So last Sunday, um, well, last Saturday, I messaged Pastor Ryan Charlie and just said, I think I'm going to be physically unable to stand on the stage. I was pretty sick, got a drip. It was pretty fun. Um, but I was like, okay, Pastor and I is going to share. This is what I think he's going to share. And this is the scripture that I think he's going to share based off just, I feel like what God was doing in our church. It was a different message than the message that God gave me. But I think we're blessed that I think in all of our leadership that we do as a church, from our board, from our connect leaders, we lean into God. Let's keep on doing that. Let's keep on people that will that'll wait on God, that won't just um, spit out a message being like, okay, this is what I should do. Claudia this morning, she's sharing out of her journey, out of what God is doing about what, he, what she is overcoming with Him. And uh, this morning... Um, we're starting a series uh, on personal discipleship across the month in church. And I want to share around the topic this morning of the lost art of discipleship. I'll look at a few scriptures. I want to pray for us, tell us a story. We'll get into this thing. My heart and our heart as a church across this month is that you would, um, I'm going to say this very intentionally, return uh, to biblical discipleship. Uh, we wouldn't get caught up in organisation, structures, systems, services, that we would make sure that we look to Jesus, look to specifically the New Testament, but discipleship is, man, a, a core subject throughout the entire text, through Old Testament and New Testament. But we would, we would not be a crowd-based church, an event-based church, a gathering-based church, that we would be a discipleship-based church because that was the ministry of Jesus. He had crowds, but you find his entire legacy was built on that of those that he discipled. So I just want to look at a few different random scriptures and I'll pray and we'll get into this thing. Hebrews 10 verse 24 to 25 is going to appear on the screen. I just want to give us um, some foundational scriptures for this series. Um, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. I love the shade there, thrown in Hebrews. How good is that? That's the message, like the people that weren't in the room. Someone stood up and just dropped this one. As some are in the habit of doing. <laughs> Those watching online, just joking, just joking. You're, you're with us too. Um, but encouraging one another all the more as we see the day Approaching, We see here that the church should be championing others and each other to do good. Not just to stay where we are, but to keep on moving forward. Matthew 28 gives us the foundational scripture that we use for discipleship. It is the Great Commission. It's Jesus telling his, his disciples what they ought to be spending their time doing. And it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are here to make disciples. It's pretty simple. We're not just here to survive. We're not just here to make sure that our core 10 beliefs are doctrinally correct. We're not just here to attend a service or to give an offering or attend a working bee. We are here to disciple someone. To disciple all nations is the commission given to these first 12, 11. But we are here to be reminded that that mission has not completed yet. And that if we're going to be a Jesus follower, we better follow the example of Jesus. It's quite simple. We are here to make disciples. We see this in Matthew 28, but when we go over to Acts 1 verse 8, we see um, another truth given and it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be able to be my witnesses. Can everyone say witnesses? In Jerusalem, in all of Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Acts 1 verse 8 here is spoken into community and it is um, fulfilled in community. In other words, what, what we're seeing here is, is Jesus saying, 
Wait here, encounter the Holy Spirit. And when you guys encounter the Holy Spirit together, go out and be my witnesses, plural. In other words, you're going to encounter God, but the body is going to keep on moving as a unit. We don't have an encounter with God and all go our separate ways and then go and change the world. We are witnesses. We encounter something and then we go to all these different areas connected to the encounter itself, encounter to our Jesus and achieving things. It is showing us discipleship still. It's showing us that these guys didn't, one guy took one area, you take Jerusalem, you take, it is, you will be my witnesses. Can I, can I remind you this morning, church, um, that it's not just about an encounter with God. It's about an encounter with God that you bear witness to everyone you possibly can. We encountered God like this and now I'm going to share our encounter with the world. Not just my story, but our story as Jesus followers. I just want to read um, a couple more scriptures and I'll pray. Proverbs 27 verse 17 says, Iron sharpens iron as one man uh, sharpens another. Scripture doesn't say um, copper sharpens uh, iron. It doesn't say uh, platinum sharpens silver. It gives us a truth here that like disciples like. Gives us an image here that one person is called to disciple another person. And I can tie this scripture quite easily to 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1, which Paul is encouraging, uh, saying, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. It is this truth that um, we should be living a life in a way that someone can imitate the journey that we have. Duplicate it, copy it, follow our example and arrive at the feet of Jesus. Like actually follow what we do and not just a year ago or five years ago or a month ago, but right now, could you successfully say to those around you, be an imitator of me? Be an imitator of me. Pray like me, disciple like me, encourage like me, study the word like me, uh, be a person of faith like me, take a risk like me. Um, don't be led by my emotions, but be led by the voice of the Holy Spirit like me. Can you say that? Paul wasn't uh, 15 years into his journey when he wrote 1 Corinthians 11. He, he, he wasn't at the end of, uh, of anything. Um, he was still on a journey, but he's saying to the Corinthian church, follow my example, imitate who I am. The mission for us is to actually set an example that can both be imitated and multiplied. It is to go and make disciples and lead them to the feet of Jesus. Are we just making versions of ourselves? No, but we should be able to say this. Imitate me. Not just imitate him, but he's done this in us. He's done this in me. Now follow that example and you will find him. So this morning, I want to um, help us to come back to this sort of discipleship. Uh, I think when we're looking for someone to disciple us, we need to, it needs to be a God thing. We need to hear God's voice. We need to find someone that is godly. That you look at their life and there's uh, fruit of the Spirit, but there's also fruit of success. There's actually, it works. It's someone walking with Jesus and there is tangible fruit in their life. We look at elders uh, in the Bible and there's, there's certain success measuring sticks. They're like this with their wife. This is how they raise their, their kids. This is how they deal with their finance personally. So you're looking for those things when you're looking for someone to disciple you. Uh, and also, I think when you're looking for someone to disciple you, ask that question, am I okay with turning out like them? <laughs> and if the answer is no, um, find someone else to disciple you. And if you're finding yourself in a situation where I don't know who, there's no one really discipling me. We'll get into the ins and outs of what I think that word means. Um, and it's been longer than a week or two or a month. I think we really need to ask ourselves a question, why? Is it because we're too familiar with everyone around us that we couldn't possibly think they could be used by God? Is it that we're too insecure to let someone in our own journey? It shouldn't be very long that you don't have a disciple in your corner making you... Uh, Honestly, more like them. Someone that you can imitate, someone, example that you can follow. I don't think you grow out of discipleship. The reason why I think that is because I don't think it's biblical. <laughs> don't think you progress to a point where you become a disciple and you're no longer a disciple. So this morning, let me pray for us. We'll get into this thing. I'll let Alicia Keys sit down and relax her fingers. Go into stretching and ice packs because she'll be back soon.
Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. Do you want to speak to us this morning? Church is not a meeting where we gather together. It is a place where we encounter you. So I ask this morning, Jesus, you speak to us, you help us, that we have an encounter with heaven this morning. We're not interested in services or playing games. We want you to be in the centre of this. Uh, We repent if this is the first moment in our week, maybe, that we've just made room for you. But we still ask that you use this moment, uh, that you do something in it, that you speak to us, that we would understand something more of your word, understand something more of what it is to be a disciple of you. I pray that uh, our distractions, the noise, would fall into the background and that we would just take this next moment uh, to hear you. May you change us. We need to be changed. We have not arrived. We've not finished our race just yet, God. So may you continue to conform us to your image, Jesus. May we be a little bit more like you and a little bit less like our disappointments. May you increase and may we decrease. We are not better than you and we want more of you. So have your way this morning. Speak to every single person. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alicia. On the screen is going to appear a man. That man's name is James. Oh, not the James that you thought. You thought it was the Bible one. No, you didn't. Um, you probably thought it was, I don't know any people called James. Um, oh, Jimmy. Jimmy Watson. Your name's James, isn't it? There you go, that's a James. Um, James is from Newport in Wales. Uh, James is an IT uh, manager. And James, um, in 2013, accidentally threw away a hard drive. Now, that hard drive um, was something you may or may not have heard of. If you've watched the news recently, there's a thing going around called cryptocurrencies. James threw out a hard drive, and this hard drive is it's just like a wallet holding this currency, just like if you threw out your wallet. But in his wallet, he had 7,500 bitcoins. We'll get into a second what that means. He put all his stuff in these garbage bags, went down to his, the Newport tip, threw these bags out, and then about 12 months later, he thought that he transferred these bitcoins onto his new computer, but then he realised that he hadn't. And he realised that the price had gone up to such a degree that he threw out $11 million worth of cryptocurrencies. He was shocked. He went back to the tip and he said, can I please look for it? in the landfill. They put him in a big truck, they took him around for a drive and pretty soon he realised that it was going to be quite unlikely that he could find it. Pretty upsetting, right? Throwing out, you know, $11 million of cash accidentally thinking that... But the story gets much, much worse for young James. Uh, The price of Bitcoin increased to his wallet being worth $370 million. $370 million. He got a little bit more upset. It had passed about four or five years and he called up the Newport City Council in Wales and said, I will donate 25%, $98 million to the council if you allow me to excavate the landfill. And if I find the hard drive, I will donate nearly $100 million Australian dollars to the council. There was about 300,000 people in the city, just like giving every single person $300 cash, including babies. Come here, little baby. Come here, little Winnie or Florence or Danielle's here in the service. Good for her. That's nice. Here's three, this, this. And the council said, no, um, we're not going to let you excavate pretty much the entire landfill, uh, roughly eight years after it had happened. And 
This is a sad story. There is no resolution. He's sitting at home, probably sad right now. At the peak, this wallet would have been worth $650 million. And he threw it out accidentally. And James, look at the sorrow on that man's face. He's there at the dump. That's a picture of him at the dump being like, life decisions, hey, uh, made them. I've lost my keys every single day of my life. Even as a baby, those toy keys, lost them, couldn't find them, very distraught, very upset. I have lost my wallet so many times. There's just been periods, months, years that I've just given up on even having a wallet and I just exist in this beautiful space of no identification, like I'm a nomad and there's no finance and I just steal stuff at restaurants. No, I'm joking. Um, I've never lost $370 million worth of Bitcoin before. Um, it would be awesome if this story for James ended up that he was allowed to excavate and found it all and donated his $100 million to the council and everyone got some cool cash and went out and bought themselves Tamagotchis or whatever people buy these days. But in the same way, maybe you've even... Have you ever lost a kid before, parents? You lost a kid before? When we were applying for our loan for our home um, and then a bank consultant came to our house and as soon as they arrived, we realised that we hadn't seen our kids for 10 minutes. And we searched for Jeremiah and Ellie for half an hour. They were lost. And we were like, someone has stolen them. What is going on? And then I hear, shh, shh, shh. And Jem had taken his little sister, who at the time would have been 18 months old, um, and hidden up behind trees in like the back corner of the house we were living in at the time, hiding secretly. It was like his new thing is like, I'm going to hide from mum and dad until they die of panic and fear. And then I'm going to come and I'm going to run the house and I'll build the house that I want. I don't know what his sinister plan. What a psycho. Um, but we, we, we lose things. And I, I think discipleship is something in the church that can often get lost the more and more that we focus on a part of church, services, gatherings, receiving, even giving, and we lose the relational level of church that should be sustained and exist. Where we say stuff like we're a family and we, and we, we water that down to, okay, we're a family, therefore we'll have no social skills with each other. And if someone looks like they've put on a kilo, I'll go say, it looks like you're putting on weight because we're a family and we're the most dysfunctional, um, dumb family in the world. Like that's, oh, someone comes home from the honeymoon and you say, oh, when are you having kids? Okay, so we take a family concept, we deform it so far away from what the Bible says and then we become socially inept and horrible. We become unkind human beings and we say it's because we're a family, right? <sighs> Kidding. Um, and we lose other attributes that families are supposed to be of kindness, of standing together, of doing life together, of being there for the highs and the lows, of forgiving each other, of progressing forward, of growing, of being inclusive, of having an atmosphere. We lose original intent and we turn it into something that it's not. Oh, I have a weird uncle, therefore I'll be the weird uncle in the church. Um, that's not the concept of certain things. And discipleship can get so twisted out that we believe discipleship is this. This is not discipleship. Let me be very clear, sitting in a room listening to someone share about the Bible is not discipleship. Until someone will look in your eyes, listen to your story and remind you of the truth of God and address things and encourage you and be the voice to give you hope when you are broken. Until there is one person sitting in a seat across from you that you are open with, that you'll share about your life, your marriage, your fears, um, your, your parenting, um, your faith, your disappointments, your health, and that will stand with you and pray with you and fight with you, not one occasion, but consistently and regularly, you are not participating in the kind of discipleship that Jesus showed us. Jesus never said that he was discipling the 5,000. He never said, come here, my disciples, we are all going to eat this fish and bread, yum, yum, yum. But he regularly called his 12 to himself and taught them truth about who they were and what they would do and who God was. 
Discipleship is not gatherings. You are learning something. Discipleship is not a podcast. It's not a book that you read. Discipleship at its purest form is what we see when Jesus tells Peter to stop being weird when the transfiguration is happening. Discipleship is what's happening at the Last Supper. Discipleship is happening when they're called to leave their fishing boats and follow him. Discipleship is what's happening when they're, when they're witnessing Jesus process the death of his friend Lazarus. That's discipleship. Discipleship happens two centimetres away, not two metres. So I want to give us uh, five things I think will help us return to the art of discipleship and give us truth about what discipleship is. The first thing is this. Discipleship is deep and real. Discipleship is not supposed to be pleasantries and flattery and on the surface. The best type of discipleship is deep and it is real. There's a few things in that. It's consistent. Inconsistent discipleship will never come close to consistent discipleship. There's a reason why those 11 or 12 disciples did radical things for Jesus. It was because of the proximity they had to Jesus. Maybe that was because they had a grace to do that. Maybe it was because God had called them to do that. And maybe it was partly that and partly their obedience to take up their cross and follow Him. How consistent are you with real discipleship? Not church attendance, but actually working on being a follower of Jesus, actually imitating someone that has godly character that you want to duplicate in your own life. I think deep and real discipleship is often you choose to honour over understanding. I think what happens with discipleship sometimes is I can look to that person, they're on a pedestal. If anyone that is discipling you is on a pedestal, you're too far away from them. Um, you've placed them over there and then you've said, oh my gosh, I'm going to hold them to this standard. That's not a disciple, that's um, a fan. You're a fan of them. Um, it's, it's like on social media, people can feel like they have a relationship with some celebrity because they've seen all their stories, but there's not a relationship there that's supposed to occur with an actual friendship. It's the same with discipleship. It is a relationship. And in that relationship, sometimes you need to learn how to choose honour, to choose things like forgiveness, to actually go on a journey with someone that is leading you that is a lot different than you would do if you place them on a pedestal and said, oh, they said that thing. Oh, they did that thing. I don't like them anymore. I'm going to put someone else on that pedestal and then I'll worship them for a while. It's not discipleship. Hebrews 13 verse 17 gives us a scripture which says, have confidence. Uh, some translations say obey. We'll get into that in a second. In your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. The word uh, that we get have confidence or obey from uh, means to be persuaded. It means to allow ourselves with an open heart to be led well, to have someone speak into us in areas that may be challenging or difficult rather than making someone's job a burden. The only, the only point uh, where having confidence is needed is when there's an option to not have confidence, Right? It's when someone challenges us or someone uh, does something that we may not understand, where submission becomes an issue to their authority. And we're encouraged here by uh, the writer of Hebrews to be someone that in our discipleship, in our following of those that lead us, to choose to have confidence that God is using them to make us more like Him. It is said here in a way that it's, uh, it means to be persuaded for what is trustworthy. In your discipleship, in the person that's looking in your eyes across that table and maybe some days telling you to lift your head up and believe, other days telling you to smash that pride out because that's not Him. Do you have someone that you are persuaded that they are trustworthy to help you get closer to Him? Do you need someone discipling you? Yes. 
without a doubt. I have no doubt in my mind that God is not interested in you and Him cuddling in the bushes. That He wants you intimate with Him, yes, 100%, but He will not detach you from the rest of the body of Christ. If that is the relationship that you have, you may not be in the church that He died for, the bride that He is waiting for. Discipleship is such a crucial part of our identity as a Jesus follower. I think in deep and real it also, you need to fight for forgiveness with the people that disciple you. What if they say something you don't like? What if they're mean? What if they have a rough day? Fight for forgiveness. Forgiveness is the most underutilised thing in churches. It is the number one reason why people leave churches. It is because they cannot forgive. It is not because someone hurt you because everyone is going to hurt you. The issue is you can't forgive them. That's the challenge, baby. And that's the gospel. And you want to be very careful because the same measure that we use to others is the measure that he uses back on us when it comes to this forgiveness issue. Let's forgive well. Let's develop deep, real, healthy discipleship. I think as well in deep discipleship, I said it before, but it's, it's being five inches away or five centimetres away rather than five metres away. You need to get up close and personal. Deep discipleship uh, only occasionally happens in services. Only occasionally will perhaps be a moment of vulnerability that will occur uh, a dozen times a dozen times more in one-on-one discipleship will occur in a moment like this. In a connect group setting where a leader will share something, you'll be like, oh my gosh, I see into that. I respect that. That is building me up. I can submit to the truth of that authority moment. It's changing and transforming me. A lot more will happen when it's up close and personal. And one last thing, I think open communication is built and maintained. I think when you're being discipled by someone, how open is the communication? I've been uh, discipling people since uh, Pastor Nat made me a connect leader when I was uh, in year nine or 10, uh, about half of my life ago, uh, about 15, 16 years ago. Um, I've been discipling people and man, I've had, uh, uh, and let me not joke around, you you might be in this room, don't get offended or whatever, but I've had, I've had times where I wish I could have been open, but they just weren't ready yet. And you have to use wisdom. You have to lead them on a journey because the openness isn't there. But man, it is a joy when you are leading someone or being led by someone and there is an honesty because there's trust built, there's forgiveness that has been shown, there's offence that's been processed through. We've proven that we are mature in our relationship with each other of spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. And now this communication can occur. This will not happen in the first 50 times you meet with someone. Maybe 20 to 50, I reckon, of encounters with a discipler. It is built when they offend you and you respond well. It is built when they are wrong and you don't feel it is your need to correct them, to be right and justified. It's when the power dynamics stop. It's when pride takes a back seat and humility leads. It's when love becomes the centre. It's when I focus my eyes on Jesus, not on someone on a pedestal. Can I encourage you to invest in this type of discipler in your world? Because ultimately, discipleship isn't a concept, it's a process. The church over the last 18 months, especially across Australia, has been like, discipleship is what matters. Let's go back to home groups. And like we really champion like that because we couldn't meet together. Um, but it's not, it's not this topic. Like, yeah, I believe in discipleship. No, it's shown in your life. It is a process. It is a journey. It is relationship that you are building together. How are you on the process of discipleship? Not the concept. We all agree with the concept. <gasps> Someone in my corner encouraging me? <sighs> I love it. How many of them can I have? How many corners can I have? How many can I have that I can go to them when the other ones say no? I love the idea of this champion of me. We can agree with the concept of it, 100%. But the process is a little bit more messy because the process involves you. The concept is this out there magical idea. It's very mythical, yeah, discipleship. The process has got you up in it with your feelings and your revelations that are very important to you. And then it's got another person equally there. (laughs) 
Discipleship isn't a concept, it's a process. The second thing is this, a mirror. When it comes to discipleship, it's about truth in love. They are someone that reflects back God to you. That this is who you are. This is who He is. Can you remember what He spoke over you? Can you remember your grace? There's someone that when all the noise and the opinion and and everyone's ideas and everyone's posts and all the noise happens, you can pull back and they'd be like, no, remember what God said. Remember who you are. They are a mirror shining back to you what God has said to you that you can hold on to and be reminded of. That type of thing is built, baby, and you need to build it. Ephesians 4 verse 15 says, Instead, speak truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head that is Christ. You want to have a disciple that will speak truth in love. I honestly think truth not spoken in love isn't actually truth. Um, I, I, I think we, um, we, we mongrel up what the truth is by manipulating it, using it as hate or using it to persuade or using it to manipulate. I think the truth is truth when it is founded in love, when it comes from God who is love. Um, but the scripture is giving us this truth. Let's make sure when we speak, let it be truth in love. Let's not just say the right things that we've heard, but maybe that type of love-based communication. And that's what you get when someone's mirroring that truth back. There's someone that works on the inside of you rather than the outside. They're not interested in, is, is your shirt ironed enough? They're not interested in, did you attend your serving time regularly enough? They are more interested in the character, the heart, the, the knowing Him more. Do those things matter? Yes, they are all fruit of something internal, but we are going to work on that first. That is what a mirror will do to you. There's someone that knows who you're called to be in God. Have a disciple that can see the grace on your life even when you can't see it, can remind you of, of what you're called to do and what tomorrow looks like and what five years looks like and why you should persevere. You need someone like that in your corner and if you don't have them, baby, it's time to find one. You only need one. You don't need two or three or four or five. You, the disciples weren't like, Jesus, you're cool, but man, John the Baptist is cooler. Look at his cool beard. He's eating locusts up in here. Your bread's nice, but we ain't getting the protein that you get from a delicious locust. Uh, I love your robe, Jesus, but look at that uncomfortable camel skin that he's repping. Lovely fashion. Perfectly happy being satisfied. And I think there's someone that knows... Um, what you're called to do and what you're not called to do. Um, as you can see, when you look at me, I'm quite clearly an athlete. Um, I'm about five foot seven. Um, so I love saying that I'm shorter than I am so that people that are shorter than me feel even shorter. Um, so as someone that's five foot two, um, four foot and a half, um, one foot, seven centimetres tall, I played basketball. Uh, I played it for 10 straight days. Um, Bombardieri represent the old basketball court. Um, cool, loved it, best thing ever. Um, there's a basketball player, his name is Shaq, Shaquille O'Neal. He is one of the most interesting humans ever. I watched interviews with him over the last uh, couple of weeks because I've just trapped him, trapped in my room. Um, and one of the things about um, Shaquille O'Neal is in his... Uh, in his NBA career, he scored 28,596 points. I think he successfully ripped off over 20 hoops and backboards during games. He would slam dunk until he could pull it down and end the game. Because when you lose one of the hoops, the game cannot continue. Go watch compilations of him destroying backboards. It's because he is so big and he is so heavy, he would just destroy them. But Shaquille O'Neal, in those 28,596 points scored, only successfully scored one three-pointer. One. He attempted 22, 28, and he scored one. It's a good shot. It was the end of a game. It was nearly half court and he got it in and it was the most magical moment of his life. One, 
28,596 points, he scored one three-pointer. It is quite clear that he had a strength. It was slamming, he was big, he could get close, he could destroy things, but he had a weakness and it was three-pointers. If you could keep him out of that area, if you could keep him, he'd be missing. We only took just over 20 in like 15, 16 years of his career, which is amazing. But when it comes to a mirror, a discipler, there's someone that knows your strength. They're not someone that's telling you to be everything to everyone all the time. Or your parents want you to say that. Or your kids want you to do that. Or your work needs you to do that. Or that department leader needs that of you. Okay, that person is demanding this. That new disciple is asking you to be like this and more like their old disciple and less like yourself. But there's someone that brings you back to know this is who you're called to be, remember? Be this well. The body needs you as you. They don't need you as a poor copy of someone else. They need you as you. And that is the type of discipler you need in your corner. So ultimately, we all forget who we are sometimes. We need to invest in a mirror. We need to invest in someone that's going to reflect back truth, reflect back what God is saying. And it is an investment and it does take time, energy, finance, but a lot of us don't have the mirrors that we need because we're not investing in them. Third thing is this, purpose. It needs to be intentional. What are you meeting for? What do you get out of it? What do they get out of it? Who is benefiting from this? If you're being discipled by someone and there is no one outside of the room getting benefited, it might not be good discipleship. If it's like 53 minutes of you saying, this is how bad everything is, seven minutes of them saying, mm-hmm, and no one is affected, your kids aren't affected, your workplace isn't affected, get some better purpose in what you're doing. Because we see in Jesus, we're gonna look at it in a, in a second in Mark 6, where this moment occurs, the crowd hates him, but Jesus gets his disciples and goes and changes the world real quick, the next verse. There's something about discipleship that has a purpose about going out and doing something. I'm going to skip that scripture, guys. We're just going to go um, to this ultimate truth at the end of this point, which is just discipleship without direction is disorder. It's supposed to have a direction. I'm meeting with you. Okay, what is on your life? What can I receive from? What can I honour? How can I draw out of you the God on the inside of you? How is this not about you maintaining my relationship with God? Because that isn't your job, baby. That's my job. But what can you spur on in me? What can you fan in a flame in me? What can you recognise in me? What is going on here? What is the order? And if there isn't direction, there will just be disorder. There will be mayhem. There will be, we met and did I change? What was altered? Man, how often can we come to church and have a meeting with God, but be unchanged? And how often that happens is probably how often we are not truly meeting with God. We're not letting Him get down with us in the dirt and lift our eyes to something bigger. We're we're putting on a mask or a front or we're pushing Him, we're being too familiar, whatever the issues are. We need direction in our discipleship with him and with each other so that we can get order, so that we can move forward. The fourth thing is this, leaders are readers. What's under here? Books. Okay, ready for my flex? These are the books that I have read this week. No, this year. Uh, I was going to be impressive for a second there. Um, None of them are inappropriate. I'll just put that down there so no one can see that one. Global warming. Bill Gates, I said it. Um, I learned learned in school um, that reading sucks and it's very hard and I hate learning. It took 13 years for them to teach me that, but they did it uh, successfully. Um, The way that I learn is not the way that schools work um, at all. Um, So all my report cards say that I distracted uh, other students. my year two report card said that I distracted my teacher. I'm sorry, Mrs. Beto. Maybe you had ADHD and couldn't stay focused on your lesson. Um, don't be blaming that up on me. Uh, Mrs. Beto was my teacher. She also taught my brothers who are 10 years older than me and she has always been 70 years old somehow. I don't understand. When the school was founded in I think the late 60s, uh, she looked exactly the same as she did the day that she retired. She is not human, she is an alien. Uh, and she's here right now. No, not really. Um, that's not really her name. I wouldn't use her actual name. I did use her actual name. 
I repent, Mrs. Beto, if you're watching or listening. Imagine if she appeared. She's like, I'm not an alien, and then scurries off or something. But I learned, um, I learned that I need to learn how to learn. Beautiful sentence, hey? I was amazing at the English. Um, do you need to actually work out a way to better yourself? Okay, this is how I learn. This is how I remove distractions. This is how I engage better. This is how I sit in a service and actually get something from God rather than the few points that the preacher had. Who cares about my points? Stuff my points. Hear God. Does it take you drawing something? Does it take you writing down something at the beginning of every morning before you come to church? This is what I'm asking God today. What do I need to, how do I engage with Him? What conversations should I have? How should I find the answer to my question today? Oh, look at these two scriptures on the screen. 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. I love this encouragement from Paul to Timothy here, teaching him and encouraging him to be someone that throws himself into the work, his work was preaching and teaching, so that he would rightly handle the word of truth, that he would learn well, that he would keep on growing and and bettering himself so that he could do what he was called to do. He didn't need to sustain it. He needed to keep on going forward, not just maintain or just sustain. He needed to keep on progressing to be better and better. And Proverbs 9 verse 9 says, give instruction to a wise man and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. Are you increasing in your learning? Are you becoming wiser? How are you doing something to learn right now? I wrote something on my phone on the way here that I'll throw in in this moment right now. Uh, Learning information without understanding information is the education of the prideful. Learning information without understanding is the education of the prideful. What I'm saying, learn, read, better yourself, ask, sit down with someone and ask some questions. They're going to address the things that are really going on, not addressing your fake giants, but your real giants that you know about, the things that you know you need to overcome, the things that you've circled around too many times. You've you've had unforgiveness too many times. You've faced that addiction too many times. How do you get those things treated? How do you learn about those things? Because just learning more information, getting the latest blog or Facebook post that just confirms what you already knew. If all of your learning is confirming things that you already knew, you are not learning. That is not called learning. That is called delusion. No, that is called getting concreted further in an already established idea. Learn, progress, be a bit bigger. Because if you don't, if your discipleship with someone is only ticking the box that you already ticked, you may have a little bit of pride that you need to address. We need to eagerly pursue a better version of ourselves eagerly pursue a better version of yourself, church. Be like, okay, I'm good right now, but I want to find the better me. Not the better you. I don't want to be you. I don't want to wear your clothes. I don't want to do your thing. But I want to pursue a better version of myself. That's why discipleship matters, baby, because it's someone mirroring future you back to you, the truth of who you are in the kingdom, back to who you feel naturally. That is very important and very good. Last point, Alicia Keys, why don't you bring us home? That was not a piano. That was a guitar. Um, So Alicia, could you jump up on guitar and do a solo? Let's see what you got, girl. Um, Last thing is this. Number five is this, just disciples, not just a crowd. I think when we're returning to the lost art of discipleship, we just need to actually return to it. We need to be like, okay, how's my discipleship going of me personally and who am I actually discipling? A thing that happened in the pandemic um, in in churches, Christians, leaders, pastors, is um, uh, it happened in marriages, man, it happened in careers. Um, You got disrupted to a point you were like, okay, what matters? Like you'd go back to that job and be like, I don't know about this. People would walk back into church and be like, "Mm, I don't know about this. Pastors would have, you know, 12, 14, 16 weeks away from people and be like, oh man, it's so nice not to be insulted every single Sunday morning. 
from my family. Like I love the time away from them. They can't do it over the comments because I don't know. And what happened in the pandemic, not just in churches, but across is um, (laughs) I think a lot of people started thinking that they're too good for people. Our church is nice, but man, it's not as successful as I want it to be. Or man, those people don't do this. Or my workplace just isn't. I'm better than this. And tell you what, maybe. Maybe God wanted to use some of those situations to transition you into a different season of life, change career. But almost 99%, he didn't. You need to make sure what doesn't get stolen is what the mission of the church is, which is to disciple someone, which is to raise someone up, which is to fight for people that no one else is fighting for, which is to go after the, the one and be willing to leave the 99. It's to make room for the prodigal son, even though he doesn't deserve it naturally. But in the kingdom, man, he does because he has value because he matters. I want to look at this one scripture as we finish this morning. It was the scripture I was going to share on last Sunday. We're going to look at this story in Mark 6, verse 1. We pick up this story. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the disciples came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he is preaching? Verse 3 says, Jesus said to them, Ah, oh, wow, this is all out. Can I have a Bible? Is that cool? Oh, no. Hope I can find Mark. I got this. It's out, right? Those slides? No? No one agrees with me? No one's read this scripture before? Verse 3, is not this the carpenter's son? Uh, Sorry, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Judas and Simon, and not this, are not these his sisters here with us? And they took offence at him, and then we can go back to this. Thank you, Marky. Uh, And then it says, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honour except in his own town, among his relatives and in his home. Isn't this, oh yeah, now it gets really confusing. And it says, uh, verse five, if you can go there, it says, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. couple of things that amaze Jesus. One of them is faith and one of them is a lack of faith. May you amaze him on the right side of that bad boy. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. And then the kind of paragraph ends. The verse doesn't end, but the paragraph ends. And it shows us um, this kind of idea that Jesus could be stopped by people's lack of faith. True and not true. True in that village But Jesus packed up quite quickly and went on to the next village. And verse 6 and 7 say this, And then Jesus went around teaching from village to village, calling the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over impure spirits. What happens to the crowd is the crowd is left behind. Irrelevant, nameless no longer major parts of the kingdom or the story unfolding in the Gospels their lack of faith, their unwillingness to see Jesus for who he truly was, not who he was naturally, resulted in them being left behind. I was going to speak on familiarity and address the issue that imagine if in a culture we were all this familiar with each other. If we all knew our career or where we came from or who our parents were or what we did naturally, but none of us could see who we truly were in the kingdom because that is a very toxic culture. But imagine the opposite, baby. Imagine a culture where you came and every single person in that room shone back to you and reminded you of who you were in the kingdom. Not what your workplace said or your disappointment said or your last week said, but what God said about what your grace was, about what your gift was to the body of Christ. In a culture, that would be incredible. But that culture starts over a coffee table with someone that is genuinely discipling you. 
We're not going to magically become these types of mirrors. They happen when we fight for people. Not occasionally, but consistently when we fight for people. When we say, this is someone that I'm going to remind who they are. What a, what a tragedy for that crowd, but what a truth that occurs in verse 6 and 7, that those that were really being discipled received such power that they went out and transformed things. They were given authority. The other crew wasn't given any authority. They thought they had authority. They thought they were controlling the situation. They just missed out on miracles for them. The ones that actually got authority were those that leaned in. So ultimately this, discipleship was at the core of Jesus. Is it at the core of you? No doubt, it's at the core of him. You might grab a scripture that's Jesus saying this, but who's he saying it to? He's either saying it to a crowd or he's saying it to his boys or he's praying a prayer. These are three situations. It is founded in either preaching the gospel to people far from him, teaching someone to do it in their worlds in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, or it's just worship to him. And Jesus is very clear, giving us this call, this truth. Let's make disciples, come and follow me. Paul's telling us, imitate me as I follow Christ. Is it at your core, church? Not as a concept, but as a process. Show it to me, baby. Show it. Show who you're fighting for. Not not for a week or some prophecy week or you do an anointing service and you put your hand on someone. No, 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 no. That you're there for them in their valley. You're his hands and his feet for them. That you're, you're drawing them into some big revelation. Let me pray for us this morning. city won't be changed until the church takes personal discipleship seriously. Pray about it. Get a word from God about it. Find someone. Be discipled by them. Let them champion you. Let them make you greater than you've ever been before. The most pure version of Jesus in you outworking in every corner of your life. Let someone in the body do that for you. Don't miss the glorious body that we're a part of, the bride that he died for. Don't underestimate what he wants to do in the person next to you and behind you and around you. May familiarity leave our church. This morning, Jesus, I thank you that you give us a radical example of discipleship. Not occasion, you show us that you spent time with these boys, these teenagers. You discipled these young guys to truly know you and do mighty exploits and to cast out spirits and to go to dark places and to carry you with power and to, and to know you, Holy Spirit. And I just ask God that as a church that we would return to the art of discipleship that we would have true disciples in our corner, big enough to make us bigger, and that we would do that for someone else. We wouldn't just serve them, but we would disciple them. We wouldn't just gather with them, but we would disciple them. May discipleship be the core of our church, God. May we pursue you in such a way the results in us pursuing the thing that has your heart, us reaching out, helping people take a step closer to you. May our church not get too far away from your example, Jesus. May we not spectate in worship. May we not observe scriptures and be unchanged by them. And may we not look at people as a part of the problem, not understanding that they are a part of the solution of your salvation plan on restoring a lost world to you. That we would not miss the honour it is to fight for someone else. And may there be people outside of these four walls that are reached and discipled and affected because someone inside of these four walls opened their eyes. 
and saw that the harvest field was very ready, that it wasn't not ready, that it was ready. That we just got to get it. And may this not be a connect leader thing or a department leader thing or a staff thing, but maybe a Christian thing. Maybe like, yeah, I've got to disciple some. I've got to be discipled, man. Maybe I'm not doing what God's called me to do because I don't have someone reminding me of it. Maybe it's a message that I can forget, seriously, after a minute or two. Maybe I need someone to look me in the eyes and tell me some truth about God. Maybe we need to have some God encounters that are going to make me bigger and stronger so that I can reach the people that God wants me to reach so that none would perish, but all would have eternal life. So God, I just thank you for our church family. I thank you that we have something to do. I pray, Holy Spirit, as we go out this week that you would, and across this series, that we would um, take discipleship seriously. Like, like, man, God, I don't think you're impressed by our services and our gatherings. I think you're impressed by the heart when it's more than that. Are our services cool? Yeah, God, you meet us so consistently every Sunday. But may we do something with it to fight for someone else. So be with us this week. May you speak to us. May you help us. And may we be a church that is not limited to 90 minutes on a Sunday, but is walking with you, united together, being a witness to what we encountered together. So help us, be with us. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen, Amen, Amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.